Welcome to the 21st Century Church podcast. Please check out our website at 21stcenturychurch.co.uk for more information. We'd love to connect with you, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Enjoy this message from Assistant Pastor Tyler and Davis. Moments, maybe you've done a DIY project at home, or you've had something to do in work or in school or whatever, and you just think, Do you know what? The problems are too big, the vision is too big, this just ain't gonna get done, we're gonna have to scale back. But when it comes to what God is calling us to as Christians, and the passage that we're gonna look at today, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, this pinnacle teaching, and He says, This you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. He's not saying, well, you're going to be the salt of this little patch. He's not telling them there, well, you be the salt of Jerusalem, but don't go no further. That's not the commission that he gives. And when he speaks to us today, he's not saying, well, you be a little bit salty in furnace. That'll be nice. Or you be a light in Llanelli, or even Wales. No, the commission is global. It's a global one. As Christians, we're meant to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And we can look at that and we can start to despair and kind of be like, well, God, didn't you see the 10 o'clock news last night? This project is too big. The vision is too big. It cannot be done. And it's easy for us to begin to think, well, the, the plan is too large and I am too small. What can I do to make a difference? But church, I hope that I can encourage you today to just maybe take our eyes for a moment off of the problem and on the magnitude of our God who holds the whole earth in the palm of his hand. And if God is for us, who can be against us? We are commissioned to change the world. It's who we are. It's what we're called to. And with God, all things are possible. And so my title for this morning is Changing the World, One Shaft of Light, One Grain of Salt, at a time. Changing the world, one shaft of light, one grain of salt at a time. And so we're going to look at Matthew 5. We're going to look at verses 7 to 16. Now, as a heads up, there's about 50 billion sermons in this. And so it's like a whistle-stop tour trying to make it a coherent thought because there is so much gold in this. But we're going to look at this chunk and we're going to filter it through this lens of changing the world. But I'm going to break it down a little bit. What does it mean to be salt in the world? What does it mean to be light in the world? And then we're going to get practical with it. And so first of all, we're going to look at the grains of salt. And so we read in Matthew 13, in Matthew 5, verse 13, rather, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the salt of the earth. Now, I'm a fan of salt. (laughs) I like salt. Um, I, yeah, yeah, there's a few of us here. You know, it's, it's, it, we, we kind of see it as a, a culinary essential. That, you know, we kind of need it to season our food. There are some foods in particular that you wouldn't even consider having without salt. Um, fish and chips, for example. Who goes to a chickpea and says fish and chips but hold the salt? Like, it didn't happen. No, vinegar, I feel like, is a different, you know? I don't get it. Oh, Alison, no, you don't. Is that for health reasons or because you don't like the taste of it? We'll pray for you afterwards. 
<laughs> or maybe, you know, I think eggs, I think eggs lend themselves well to some salt, you nodding, yeah, it's kind of, you know, so salt, we see, is a good thing, it brings out the flavour. It's also got some, some cons. Um, you know, I, I always liked on holidays going for a swim, and one of the fun things about going in the sea is that the salt makes you more buoyant. Which is, which is fun. You know, Stefan says, no, that's the weight that you gained um, that makes you float. That's what he used to say when he was a teenager. You may not remember it, but scars go deep. Um, <laughs> I don't know if any of you have been in the Dead Sea. Anyone done that and floated? Have you? I would love to go. It must be really weird, just like floating along. So the salt kind of makes you buoyant, which is fun. Um, but also, you know, I used to like sort of swim in underwater and I'd open my eyes because I used to do that in the pool and I was fine. But you come up and your eyes are like, red bloodshot raw. <laughs> I can't see all week because <laughs> it stings. And if you've got like a cut off, you've got sensitive skin, you know, it can be a little bit stingy. It's kind of a little bit of a con. And so we can think of salt in some ways and relate it to our lives, but it's not as essential to us as it would have been in the ancient world. For them, salt was primarily a preservative. In a hot country without fridges or freezers to stop the food from going bad, they needed salt to preserve them. It was also a cleanser or a disinfectant, you know, in a world without the NHS. It was an essential for them. It did bring out flavor. It was also used as a form of currency because its value was so high to them in that culture. So it was totally valuable, totally essential, but only if it's salty. If it's not salty salt, it's useless powder. It's nothing. It is literally worth nothing. It needs to be salty. N.T. Wright says this. He says, God had called Israel to be the salt of the earth. But if Israel was behaving like everyone else, with its power politics, its factional squabbles, its militant revolutions, and so what if Israel, his chosen salt, had lost its distinctive taste? If you lose your saltiness and become the same as everyone else, What's the point? As Christians, the commission is to stay salty. It's essential that we are distinctive. You know, we're called to be preservatives in this world, to stop this world from going bad. That's the job for us. We're called to preserve the kingdom, kingdom values, morality, truth as absolute. We're called to be preservatives in a world that is very fluid and changeable with a constant that say, no, God was, God's word is the authority on which we stand. It's a constant for us. We're called to be cleansers. And sometimes that stings. Sometimes the world doesn't like it when we come and, you know, we want to purify and we want to heal and we want to cleanse. And the world doesn't like it because it stings a little bit. But for William Wilberforce, for example, when he began the work of abolishing the slave trade, they didn't like it because it stung them, as Stefan said earlier, in their purse. They said the country couldn't withstand. It was an essential economic value for them that they couldn't be without the economy of the slave trade. But how good did freedom and equality and love taste? Hey, it may sting a little bit when we come and we bring God's word and we bring God's truth, but we bring up God's flavor in this world. We're called to taste distinctive, to be different. We've got a commission from heaven to be salty, to come and preserve and purify, to come and do what only we can do as Christians. If we're not salty, 
were useless. In Luke 14, it says it like this, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil, nor for the manure pile, it is thrown out. In other words, if we are not distinctive as Christians to the rest of the world, we're not even as good as dung. <laughs> dung trumps the unsalty Christian. Because actually, it's not, even, it's not even a neutral thing. Because either you're a part of advancing God's kingdom, or you're doing the opposite. Sociologists, in 1993, they published a study that said even the most introverted person influences 10,000 people in their lifetime which is staggering, I think. And that was true of publication in 1993. That's pre-social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's pre-the globalization that we now know. And so actually, I would estimate that the figure is far higher. And so maybe you think, well, I'm not really a big influencer. I don't really have that much clout to bring change. But that's a lie, because whether you know it or not, whether you recognize it or not, you are changing the world. The question is, are you changing it for good or for bad? What's the difference that you're making? Are you bringing the saltiness? Or are you unsalty salt? That's the question. Jesus doesn't pull his punches. It's hard hitting, right? But it's important that we get this. The second aspect, the shafts of light. So we read uh, later on in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this verse has been the inspiration for many a song. And so feel free to join in. If any of you have been in kids' church, let your light shine. Whoa, whoa, whoa. let your light shine. Whoa, let your light shine and let Jesus shine through you. That's great. No one wants to do the rap today. I'm not scared. And Andreas is singing it in an Australian accent, um, which is hilarious. Or maybe for a little bit old school, maybe you know, this little light of mine. Come on, church. I'm going to let it shine. Oh, this is more popular. This little light of mine is beautiful. I'm going to let it shine. There you go. I don't know the rest of the words. It's the same thing. That's great. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Oh, beautiful. Let it shine. Oh, that's beautiful. We could have a whole choir from the church. This is very special. <laughs> and so, you know, it's inspired lots of music. It's a key passage. But light is totally essential to us. It is totally essential. I don't know if you've been in a place that is very absent of light. Um, I remember going to Karakenen. Anyone been in the dungeon in Karakenen? It's one of the best castles. And you go down, and I remember going down, and you kind of have this big torch. And then you get to the darkest bit, and you turn the torch off. And then you're just having this moment like, this place is terrifying in the dark. It was cool in the light. I was exploring. It's terrifying. And then I'm coming out like conflicted about, you know, the poor souls that were thrown down here. And, you know, how did they cope in the dark? Because light is totally essential to us. And what Jesus is telling them is that you are to let your light shine. That actually, as Christians, the message that we have is totally essential to humanity. That it's an essential message. And he's telling them, you're, you're a town bit on the hill. You don't hide the light. And this wouldn't have been lost on them because Jerusalem was literally a city on a hill. And so they were commissioned by God to literally 
and figuratively, figuratively be a city on a hill let in their light shine. But again, N.T. Wright says, Israel was the people through whom God intended to shine his bright light into the world's dark corners. Not simply to show up evil, but to enable people who were blundering around in the dark to find their way. But what if the people called to be light bearers became part of the darkness? You know, that's the problem that God was facing, that the people that he'd called to be salty, people he'd called to be light, weren't doing what they were commissioned to do. And so Jesus comes and he's reteaching them and he's reminding them and he's telling his disciples, but he's also telling us today, church, globally, you're called to be salty, you're called to bring light. In John 8, we read, Jesus speaks, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you are a Christian this morning, you are a light bearer. It's who you are, it's within you, you're a light bearer. You know, sometimes it's frightening to go to the dark places. It's frightening to go somewhere where it's dark, but the truth is that in the darkness is where the light shines all the brighter. That those places are actually where we're called to go as Christians. That we're called to be the people that expose the darkness, that say, do you know what, that's not okay not on my watch. We're not okay with the fact that in the 21st century, children are still dying from preventable causes. We're not okay with the fact that not everyone has access to clean water. We're not okay with the fact that actually there's more slaves now than there have ever been in history. We're not okay with the fact that in compassion, you know, there are so many children yet to be sponsored. There are so many more yet in poverty. That we are not okay with the fact that there's trafficking going on in Station Road. We're not okay that there's prostitution and homeless on our watch. We're not okay with it. We're called to be the people that say it's uncomfortable and it stings a little bit to shine a light there. It's a little bit uncomfortable to go there and a little bit frightening. But we dare step out and say, not on our watch. We're the light of the world, a city on a hill. We're not going to shine the light with us in us. And we're also called to be the people that say, do you know what? We're going to be a light guiding away for those in darkness to come home. It's an essential part of us as church. Hey, how brightly are you shining? Do your friends, do your family know that you're saved? Do they know what you believe? Your colleagues maybe, are you okay to talk about it? Does your social media reflect the fact that you're a Christian? How bright does your life look? Because there are many people who need the light that's within us. They need to find the light of the world and it's our job to help guide them home. I know, you're all contemplative. Is it because you all got soaked on the way into church this morning? I did. <laughs> We're called to be the light of the world. Okay, so Jesus teaches them. And he's sitting on, he's sitting on the mountain. He's telling them, okay, you need to be salt. You need to be a city on a hill. And they're going, well, we are a city on a hill. And he's like, yeah, but you're failing at the task I put before you. So it's hard hitting. And they're being taught. And he's commissioning them. You need to change the world. This isn't just for the Jews. This is for the Gentiles. This is a global mission that I'm calling you to. And it's like, okay. How do we do this? How do we go about this? Well, this is the best sermon ever preached. And so Jesus has got some practical applications. <laughs> He's got some practical things. What can you do to outwork this? And so we are going to go through very briefly, because like I said, there's so much gold in this. But we're going to go through some of the Beatitudes that he's mentioned. And we're going to learn, what can we do? How do we live that out? As Christians, what does saltiness look like? What does a bright light look like? Well, in verse 7, Jesus said this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
And I don't know how merciful you would count yourselves as. I think growing up, if you know, I thought that my brothers were in the wrong, I was probably the first to stand up and say, Mom, Dad, look what they've done. <laughs> it's not me for once. <laughs> you should tell them off. <laughs> I don't know how merciful that you count yourself. But Jesus is saying, hey, you're blessed if you're a person of mercy. You're blessed. Actually, the salt in us, the light in us looks like mercy. And this, you can break it down a couple of ways. I think, firstly, we're called to be merciful to people who can do nothing for you. To have a compassion and empathy when we see the broken and the lost, when we see the homeless person on the road, when we see need and we encounter it in whatever way, we're called to be the people who have mercy. And we know they can never do anything for us. It's only going to be detrimental, financially speaking to me, or it's going to take up time and I'm really busy, or whatever. We can put all kinds of excuses and reasons around it, but we're called to be the people that say, I've got time. I have mercy, I have compassion upon you. You know, one of the most tragic stories, and you've probably heard it if you've been here a, a while, that uh, in my family, there's a story of my grandfather and he'd been working in the mines. And he came out once and he was thirsty and he'd been working and you can imagine the hot and dirty conditions. And he knocked on the door of a minister asking for water. And he asked and said, could I have a cup of water? And the minister told him no. Where is the mercy? Where's the compassion? Where's the empathy? That became a stumbling block for him all of his life to become a Christian. And the one thing that we hope that got through to him was that when he was on the front line, people from the Salvation Army would come and bring him fags. And that softened his heart because Christians were doing something for him that, hey, maybe we would judge and say, hey, what about his lungs? <laughs> but they were doing something for him. And so we're called to be a people that not, we don't put stumbling blocks up. We don't put excuses and reasons around it. We just call yes to be sensible and yes to be savvy, but to be a people of empathy and compassion and mercy because that is distinctive in this world. And whether it's popular in our culture at the time or not, we are called to be people that say we stand up for the poor, for the widow, for the outcast. It's who we are. We are a people of mercy. And secondly, the emphasis that it puts is to be a people of mercy instead of just demanding what is your right. You know, we're in a culture where I don't know how many adverts there are on TV about, could you put this claiming? What about your rights? Has somebody affected you or done something to you? Now, I'm not saying that it's not okay to put those claims in if something's gone wrong and I'm not making a hard rule on it. But I'm just talking about the attitude generally in our culture that is, hey, what about your rights? What about you? What about your feelings? But we're called to be a people that say, do you know what? I know that I haven't even got a right to the next breath I'm about to breathe, that it is a gift from God. And so I actually am going to live a life of mercy. Even when I could tell somebody, hey, you owe me. You should pay that up. You hurt my feelings. I have a right to be angry with you. Actually, we're called to be people that say, I have no right to those things. Instead, I'm going to be a person of mercy. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive you. I'll go the extra mile for you because I'm a person of mercy. I know this, uh, this sermon has been inspired by this book by Nikki Gumbel called The Jesus Lifestyle, and I'd really encourage you to get a hold of it. It's, it's awesome, and if you're in connect groups, you're working through it. And there's a story that uh, Nikki Gumbel has found and highlighted in this, and I'm just going to read it to you because it, 
it hits home, the power of mercy. And it says that Stephen Oak, a special branch constable from Greater Manchester, set out one day to arrest a suspected terrorist called Carmel Bogas. Instead, he was murdered by Bogas, leaving behind a wife and three children, aged 17, 16, and 14. His family, who are Christians, were grief-stricken. His wife said that on some days she could not even get out of bed. Yet her faith helped her survive. And the family have prayed for the murderer every single day. Stephen's father, Robin Oak, a retired policeman and devout Christian, said on the day after the murder that he forgave the killer. After seeing the murderer in court, he said, I'll carry on praying for this man so that first of all, he knows that we've forgiven him and also that he himself might find peace with God. It's pretty distinctive. Tastes pretty salty. Shines pretty bright. Looks different to what the world has to offer. Hey friend, you may have been wronged. You may be hurt. You may, in the world's eyes, you know, you may think you have the right to hold on to those grudges. Hey, it's you that it'll hurt in the long run. We're called to be people of mercy. We are merciful. It's how we change the world. Secondly, we are pure in heart. Verse 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, the word that's used here is unmixed. It's kind of, if you think of a glass of water, it's, it's not been diluted with anything else. It's not been mixed with anything else. That We're called to be a people that are transparent, that are authentic, that are sincere. We're called to be uncloudy. <laughs> as Christians. Now, don't get me wrong, you don't become a Christian and all of a sudden all the bad stuff is filtered out immediately and we are pure and perfect. One day we'll get there, but we go on a journey of becoming unmixed, of becoming unmurky. But actually, I think there's real power in the process that we say, do you know what? We're pure in heart, in faith. In faith, we're on the journey. We're getting there. And we can be transparent about it. We can be authentic. I think people can sniff out someone who's not authentic a mile off. And so it's okay to be, you know, Christians have to be humble enough to get saved in the first place to say, I'm broken, I'm a mess, and I need the help of a savior. And so we go on that journey. But I think Christianity, you know, when we are taking it seriously, when we're on the journey of becoming more like Jesus every day, we're becoming less murky every day. We go on the journey and we can be authentic about that. And we can be sincere about that. We go on the journey. I love Psalm 51. It's one of my favorite Psalms because David has royally screwed up. He has totally botched it up and he's coming back to God repenting and he's saying this, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It goes on to say, uh, restore the joy of my salvation, which we sung this morning in Amazing Grace, but create in me a pure heart. This is the journey that we go on. We're authentic, we're sincere, we value integrity you know, in a world that says one thing and does another. We are transparent in that, you know what, we're following Jesus. This is the way that we're going. And I'm still learning and I'm still figuring it out and I still get things wrong. But man, do I want to be pure in heart? Because scripture in this, in this um, beatitude, it says that the pure in heart will see God. And man, am I hungry to be like God, to, to reflect him, to see him in the world around me. Blessed are the pure in heart, we're pure in heart. Thirdly, we are peacemakers. Now, as I said, I'm not a natural, you know, merciful person. I'm not naturally a peacemaker. I think, you know, there are times I do recall as a child where I'd kind of smack myself to leave a mark and then say, look what Stefan did. <laughs> 
And then I think one time they caught me doing it and then they didn't believe me anymore. And then I felt like it was such an injustice that they didn't believe my word. <laughs> so I know I'm not naturally a peacemaker. Some people here, maybe you really don't like it when there's any sort of tension and you want to just like smooth it over. Nia's nodding like, yeah, yeah, let's just like, let's just be friends. Uh, Josh nor I are peacemakers. We're warmongers. And so in our home, it's, you know, it can be a little bit difficult. We're working on this one, but we are peacemakers. And this looks different to what the world has to offer. Nelson Mandela says this, it takes a long time to make peace, a short time to make tension. Many, many people make tension, few people make peace. Wherever you find tension, you must make peace. Church, if we're gonna change the world, how peaceful is your marriage? How peaceful is your relationship with your children, with your family? How peaceful is your home? How peaceful is your workspace? How peaceful is church? How peaceful are we? You know, we're called to be a people who are made uncomfortable by tension. That we're not afraid of confrontation when it's right. We're not afraid of standing up for injustice. But we're not going to be a people trying to dig up dirt. We're not going to be a people trying to just rally up emotion. We're not going to be a people that are okay to just shout at one another and then not make peace afterwards. We're called to be a people who make smooth the roads. We're called to be a people who build bridges. We're called to be people who pour balm upon pain. We're called to be peacemakers. There is tension everywhere we look, but we're called to be peacemakers. And that looks different. Nelson Mandela understood the power of peace. It was his calling on this earth to bring peace. And that's what we are called to do. In Romans 5, it tells us that we, whilst we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him. God made peace with us, even when we were his enemies. And so we're called to live that out and make peace wherever we go. Hey, maybe there's somebody in this place that you are not at peace with. Go make peace before you leave. Maybe in your home, it is not a peaceful environment. What can you do to bring peace into your home today? Maybe your workplace is a stressful place. Maybe it's a tense place. Hey, what can you do to bring peace and not tension? Hey, we're not responsible for other people's actions, but we are responsible for our own and for our reactions. And so what do you do in the face of tension? Be peacemakers and the keys can come up. And the final one that we're going to look at today is that we are persecuted. Bless the pure in heart, for they will see God. Then Jesus goes on. Bless the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he gives a couple more verses to this because it's a tough one. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who were before you. Jesus is saying, you're gonna change the world. You're gonna be salt, you're gonna be light. You're changing the world. And you're gonna do it by being people of mercy. You're gonna do it by being pure in heart. You're gonna do it by being peacemakers. And after all of that, you'll be persecuted for it. Oh, right, Jesus. Well, that doesn't seem fair to me because <laughs> we're trying to bring the good stuff. We're trying to live right. Why do we get persecution out of it? Bishop Ben Kwashi from Nigeria who faces persecution says this, pray for the grace to endure persecution. It's going to happen if you preach the gospel. Persecution is a reality for Christians. And we are very fortunate that we don't get much of it here, that we get 
maybe a little bit of abuse from the family, maybe people poke fun, maybe there are challenges, but there are many Christians across the world for whom to them it's literally a life or death situation. That when they profess to follow Jesus, they're doing it knowing that their lives could be at stake, that their family's lives could be at risk. It's a very real thing. But Tertullian once said that the blood of the martyr is seed. That actually in our persecution, God brings life out of it. He brings fruit out of it. And we think, but why are we being persecuted? Well, I think for the world, I think sometimes it stings when we bring truth. Sometimes it's a bit glaring when we shine a light on the issues. But our enemies are never people. Humans are never our enemies. It's the spirit behind evil that is our enemy. And so people may not get it, but do you know what? We pray for them and we love them and we're with them. And even if they persecute us, we still pray for them. It's the commission God has given us. But I think the persecution comes because the enemy knows the potency of salt and light in this world. He knows that when we are merciful, it's not just a small act of kindness. He knows that when we are pure in heart and we are steadfastly pursuing the journey of becoming more like Jesus, it's not just a nice goal for the year. He knows that when we are peacemakers in a world rife with tension, he knows that there is power in it. And so when we choose to be a people that are going to change the world, and we choose a stance of mercy and purity and peace. The enemy knows its potency. And so he would rather crush us, put us down, let dim the light as much as he can, make it as unsalty as possible because it's powerful. It's powerful. You know, just this week, I was scrolling through social media and Kerry, give a wave, Kerry, Kerry's over there. And he shared some images and it was this photographer had compiled these images and he basically conflated an image from the West with one from the Middle East. And I don't know if you saw it, go and have a look, but it was absolutely staggering. And I scrolled through the images one by one and it began to break my heart. And Josh was going to bed and I'm not going to cry because I'm running out of time. <laughs> and Josh went to bed, but I couldn't sleep. And so I just turned off the lights and I just got on my knees next to my bed and I just started to cry. I was just crying for the world because it's in such a mess. And the question that I began with, with God, this problem seems too big. I was on my knees going, God, what can I do? What can I do in the state of the world? Look at the problems. Look at the warfare. Look at the child soldiers. Look at the starvation. Look at the poverty. What can I do? And I began to pray, God, I, I don't even know what to pray. And I'm crying over the world. And, and Josh is like, babe, you're not in bed. And he's finding me. And he's like, what's the matter? Have you hurt yourself? I'm like, I'm just crying for the world. And he was like, okay, I am in your prayer, babe. And then he just went back to bed. <laughs> and so I'm just up and I'm just praying. And I began to pray, God, bend me, break me, mold me, shape me. I commit myself to the potter's wheel. Do whatever you want to do in me that I can be the most useful vessel to make a difference on this earth. And when we decide as Christians, do you know what, Jesus, I'll go on that process and it may be uncomfortable and it may be difficult, but I want to be a person of mercy even when I feel I've been wronged. I want to be pure in heart even though I feel so confused. I want to be a person of peace even though tension is around me. When we 
say, do you know what? I don't care if persecution comes. I know that when I trust you, when I yield myself to the potter's hand, when I go on the journey with Jesus, when we commit, this is no small thing. It's no, well, God, what can you do? It's like, what can God not do with a people hungry for him and giving themselves to him and saying, God, would you use us? As Isaiah prayed, here we are, God, send us. Send us. Now I'm believing that God can use us in a powerful way, church. And for my visual aid, you know, we're, I was, we're going to leave. There's going to be a salt pack and, and a match for you all to take. And, you know, don't, don't play with fire and health and safety and all that. But, you know, we've got a little bit of salt here. And if you see it, and, and I'm pouring out the salt. as a little bit. And that's good. That's nice because that's enough to save a good few chips and, you know, to make them taste nice. And, you know, when we're alone and we're doing it and we're going on the journey... We make a difference, just one of us. We make a difference. We're changing this world. But when we commit together as a church to say we're going to be salty, together we will stand up for the rights of the poor. Together we will not turn a blind eye to injustice. Together we will bring peace wherever we encounter tension. Together we will be merciful. Together we are journeying to become more like Jesus, becoming pure in heart. Together, whether persecuted or not, we will stand up for what God says, for the truth of his word. All of a sudden, look how much potency there is. Look at the effect. How many chips can we season with that? When we're together, if you've got a phone on you, I want you right now to pull out your phone and put your torch on. I've got my torch on, I've got my light. And my one light makes a difference. If I'm in a dark place, it makes a special difference. Now around the room, and if you can put the, take the rest of the lights off, production, awesome. And we all begin to shine our lights around this place. One by one, we're letting our light shine. We're not going to hide who we are. We're not going to hide what we believe in because we are letting our light shine because the world needs God's light. He needs the light bearers of this world. We need to expose the darkness and light them up. We need to be a light for the many who are out there to come home. And maybe production, you've got a massive light to go on. And if the church is one big beacon, beacon if we are one big light, if together we stand in Furness, in Tlethi, in Wales and beyond, and we say we are the light of the world, nothing will diminish us. We will not hide it. Do you know what? The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. It cannot prevail against the power of God. It cannot prevail when the light of the world is at work. Together, church, we make a difference. Alone, we help. But together, what a change we could make. Hey, I want to encourage you guys and the host team, if you're happy, if you can pass around the the match and the salt, and I want you to take it home and put it somewhere that you're going to see it, maybe in your car, maybe in your makeup stand, maybe somewhere that just reminds you as you go about your day that we are called to change the world, one shaft of light, one grain of salt at a time. It's who we are. Don't be tempted to diminish your saltiness or diminish the light because some people may find it uncomfortable because the world needs us. God is calling us, Jesus is commissioning us to be salt and to be light. Jesus told them, you'll be persecuted for this as the prophets were before you. 
But what he must have known in his head but didn't say out loud was as the prophets were and as I will be before you. See, they took the light of the world and they took him up to a hill. But they took him there with the sole purpose of snuffing out the light. He'd come a seasoning for the world. He'd come to preserve us, preserve God's kingdom and goodness and love. He came as a peacemaker, as a merciful man. He came for us, and yet they wanted him gone. And so they tried to snuff it out, and they took him up to Calvary to be crucified. And he died there, but the grave could not hold him. Death could not hold him. The enemy could not hold him. And what the enemy must hate is that the moment that he hoped would be his victory has now ironically become the moment that for every Christian across the globe, we hold as the greatest beacon of hope there ever was. That whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were enemies of God, he was reconciled to us. That Jesus went to the cross to take our place, to take on the mess, the sin, the corruption of our lives. He went to the cross to die for you. And for I, and on the third day, he rose again as the first to be resurrected to life. As every Christian, persecuted or not, will one day with trumpet sounds be resurrected from the dead. Hey, I don't know if you're in this place and you don't know where you stand with God. Maybe you've listened to this and you're a bit puzzled by it. Maybe you don't know where you fit. But I want to tell your friend that God has called you be part of his plan, that you haven't missed his attention. He's been praying for you. Jesus is praying on the right-hand side of God right now. He's been praying for you. He's been watching you. He's been waiting for a moment where you say, God, I need you to come into my life. I need the light of the world in me because man, do I recognize the darkness. And an instant, in a flash, he comes because he loves you and has already done everything that is needed to be done to be reconciled to you. So would you close your eyes right now, church, and bow your heads, and we're all gonna pray together in one loud voice, and if that's you, then pray this with all your heart. God hears, God responds. Heaven is waiting on bated breath for the one to come home. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I see the darkness, but I choose the light. Thank you, Jesus that you died for me. You took my place because you love me. Even when I didn't deserve it, you love me still. And so today I choose to follow you, to become a Christian, a light bearer. Would you help me to follow you, to pursue you all the days of my life? I want to be a part of changing the world. Thank you, God, for a life of purpose, for redemption, salvation, and resurrection to come. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on. Hey, if there was anyone that made that decision, welcome to the family. It is awesome to have you. Heaven is celebrating. And hey, for all of us here, let's take seriously this commission. God, I pray right now for every heart here. God, we repent for when we've lost our saltiness and dimmed our light. But God, we commit once again 
to be light bearers, to be salty salt. God, we want to change the world. So would you use us? Humbly we ask. Do whatever you need to use us. God, we thank you for all the men and women throughout history who have stood up for your cause, for your call. God, we thank you for the ones that the annals of history record, but God, we thank you for the ones that will only be mentioned in the library of eternity, that, that the world doesn't recognize. God, we thank you for the people who are faithful, for the people who have prayed, for the people who have stood up in face of adversity for what you're calling them to. God, we pray that in this generation, that would be us. That would be us. We commit once again to be merciful to be peacemakers, to be pure in heart, even in the face of persecution. Because God, we want to change this world. We know with you, nothing is impossible. Use us, we pray in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from 21st Century Church. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you could review and share it on social media. Remember to check us out at 21stCenturyChurch.co.uk for any more information. We'll see you next time.